Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapter 5, verses 12 through 20. Hear with us now the words of the Lord. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they prosecuted the prophets who were before you, so it will be done. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its salty taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Lord, we gather in this place on this holy ground. And may, during this time together, may time stand still in our lives. May we leave our worries, our cares, our lists, our concerns, all the things that we think we must do at the door. And during this time, may we just be with you. Just listen to you. And as we hear your words, O Lord, may our lives be changed. So that as we walk out the doors and all those things that we have left behind are waiting there for us on the curb, may we pick up those that we must, but may we be changed in how we deal with them. May we approach the world not as mere hearers of your words, but changed as doers of your words, so that the world knows that what happens in this place is akin to what happens in heaven. This, O Lord, we humbly pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in Ron Shelton's classic, epic baseball movie, Bull Durham, there's this scene where the the minor league team is on the bus. 
They've had a long road trip. And Crash Davis, the journeyman catcher who has been bought, who's had his contract bought out so that he can mentor this young, wild pitcher with a million-dollar arm and a five-cent head. They're sitting on the bus, and he looks over at Nuke Lelouch, and he says, get a pad of paper, we're going to work on our cliches. And everybody listens. And Nuke's sitting there with a piece of paper, and he says, start with this one. I'm happy to be here. I just want to help the ball club. And Nuke's got this look like, are you kidding me? And Crash says, yes, I know it's boring. Write it down. And then the next one comes out. We play them one game at a time. I know. Write it down. And he gets this last one. He says, it's a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. I know. Write it down. See, the thing about this movie and the thing about all kinds of sports is they're full of these cliches. They're full of these statements that we just sort of say and we sort of throw out there. And sometimes they have a hidden meaning and sometimes it's just something to get the players focused and to get their mind off of whatever's in their head. Sometimes there's a little bit of absurd wisdom in it. I think back to when I was playing soccer, I had a coach that used to always, before the game, we would always get huddle up and we were getting our assignments of who was going to play where. And he says, now remember, boys, remember, give it 110%, leave it all on the field. Now, even the most basic math student, even the people that say they hate math know that 110% is absolutely impossible. And yet many coaches use that very cliche, give 110%, leave it all on the field. Because whether it's the last game of the season, the last game of the tournament, the last game of your career, the big game, or just any game, it's only worth playing if you're going to give your all, right? And that's the sense of 110%, is pour every bit of yourself into this game. So as I've been looking at this text for several weeks, thinking about today, what keeps coming up is this, this cliche, 110%. There's something that relates between those two and the word, between that cliche and what Jesus is writing in this text. So remember what we've got is we've got Jesus here. This is, this is act two of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on the mountainside. He's got his disciples, his team right in front of him. He's got the rest of us gathered around so we're on the outer ring overhearing this conversation this teaching moment. They've just finished hearing the Beatitudes, if you will, understanding of how to be in the kingdom of God and how to live in the kingdom of God. Those two statements to us, how blessed that they are. But in today's text, there's sort of two lessons within the scripture. The first is this idea of salt and light, and the other one is the idea of the law and the prophets. We're going to focus on the salt and light, but don't lose the law and the prophets piece because in the law and the prophets, what Jesus is telling disciples is I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And if you want to be my followers, if you want to be the best in the kingdom, you've got to live the law as I teach it, even with more zeal, more oomph than what the the scribes and the Pharisees do. Now he's not saying be self-righteous about it, which is their sin. He says, be totally committed to it. That's what he's getting at. Which is really what salt and light is all about. 
See, this idea of salt and light, he's helping the disciples and, and parenthetically, us understand our place in the kingdom of God, who we are. It helps us understand who we are and what we're to be about. It helps them and us understand how we are to live our discipleship. See, what he's really teaching is he's teaching this sort of all-in philosophy, this 110%, this leave it on the field when it comes to practicing our faith. So he starts off with that part salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, one thing we know about salt, no matter what culture across the globe, salt is one of the few herbs or seasonings, if you will, that everyone knows about. Everyone cooks with some form or fashion of salt because it gets mixed in with whatever needs some seasoning. It loses itself in whatever you cook it into. So when Jesus says to the disciples, you are the salt of the earth, there is a declarative statement that the disciples understand immediately. It's not a simile where it says you're like salt, or it's not something where it's wishy-washy where you might be salt. He says you are salt. In other words, pay attention. And when Jesus speaks in that definitive tone, we better pay attention. So it says, you are salt. And so the disciples sort of understanding this idea of salt in their culture and in cooking, they kind of understand the metaphor real quick. And they understand that what he's talking about is that as they follow and practice his teachings, that they will be used up, worn out, if you will. So therefore, if we extrapolate that out across the centuries, what we begin to understand is that in our practice of faith that we too are like salt, that we must be involved in the world, that we must be absorbed in our discipleship. On Wednesday nights, I've been teaching a class about the essentials of the Christian faith, been using the Apostles' Creed as sort of the text for it. Because when we really get down to it, if someone were to stop you on a street and say, you're a Christian, right? You go, yeah. And they say, well, what is it that you believe? Well, if you really want to cut to the chase, what we believe is 881 in our hymnal. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and so forth. We were talking about that, and that informs our faith, what we believe in. But Jesus knows in teaching the disciples all the aspects of the faith, he knows what later James writes out in his letter, that faith without works is dead. So Jesus knows that it's okay to know everything up here and everything in here, but if you're doing nothing with it, then it's useless. Because what we do with our faith matters for the kingdom of God, but it matters for our world. So let's take a look at this idea of salt. I mean, think about it. Salt gets mixed with what needs it, right? Right? So we need ourselves, if we are salt of the earth, then we need to be involved in what needs seasoning and what needs the blessings of the gospel, what needs the help of the kingdom. So think about, say, for example, discipleship or faith formation. You know, one of the things that really matters to me is that what we do here in church. Yes, we're about worship, but we're also about discipleship. We're about changing the world. And one of the ways that we do that is how we come together and learn together. So we get there, and we try to figure this out. 
So Tyler and Meg have just baptized Brooke Rooney, and so they all have brought, you've got her, and you've started the first step of her faith journey in baptism. And we as a congregation have pledged to help raise her up. But friends, let me be really clear. We as a church, with any one of our children, whether it's, a, whether it's an infant up to a youth, we only get about three hours a week in faith formation right here on site. I mean, if you bring your children to church between Sunday school and worship and youth group or children's choir, it only adds up to about three hours. Yeah, you might get four, depending on the week. But think about all the other hours in the week. If we want to be serious about discipleship and training, then we've got, it's a full contact sport just like raising up children. It can't just be the three hours at church. It's got to be what we do outside the walls of this place. So it's up to our parents to do that work. It's up to us as the congregation that surrounds these parents to mentor and to model, to build those relationships. That's why we use shepherds in our confirmation program is it's another adult outside of the immediate family to help balance out and help teach faith. But it's not just with children and youth, it's with each other. We also need to be involved ourselves, but also model and mentor faith for each other. We've got to get mixed in with the world that needs to know that gospel message and needs to grow together in faith. So the first part of that is in this area of discipleship. The other part is this area of advocacy. When we look around the world, we see places where the gospel message needs to be shared, where there are problems. I think about the work of Martin Luther King and racial injustice, and we celebrated that and remembered that last weekend. But that's not the only trouble facing our world, is it? We have hunger. We have creation care. There's health. There's housing. And even as we've seen of late, there's troubles in our world around the subject of mental health where people need help and need access to it and need to be encouraged to take care of themselves. See, friends, if we're going to live our faith clearly, then we've got to be involved in this work and discipleship and advocacy where we're helping encourage the world to be better, to look for policies and procedures and practices that make the world better for all of us. But not only do we get involved like salt gets involved in food, we also get absorbed into what we do. We lose ourself in this. We lose our ego, our self-righteousness, our self-importance. We pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. I mean, think about it. how many times have you opened up the Bible to read it and you think, I want to hear what God says to me today. And you're really honest about it. Like, you really don't want to say, like, I hope it's going to tell me this because this is what I believe. Instead, you read in there and read what it is that God is saying to us. We lose ourselves for the sake of hearing what God wants us to hear. Or what about when we pray? How often do we go to the Lord in prayer and we have the list of things that we want, like it's sort of the Sears Roebuck conversation with our Lord in heaven. Instead, maybe what if we, instead of praying, Lord, I want, Lord, send me, Lord, give me. What if we said, Lord, thy will be done. Lord, what would you have me do? And we lose ourselves in the listening to hear what God wants for us and who God wants us to be? Or what if we took stock of our gifts, our talents? We took a look at our calendar, and we see all the time that we had it said, Lord, 
how can I use this for your kingdom, these skills, these talents, this time? And we pour ourselves out and we don't think of it as our time, our skills, our agenda. Instead, it's just God's agenda. See, when we are like salt and lose ourselves in what matters most, when we lose ourselves in our discipleship, then we begin to work tirelessly to make a difference in the world, and we're not going to rest until that work is done because we are listening and dialed into the Master and His teachings on the mountainside. And my friends, we hear it clearly in this gospel text. We are the salt of the earth. Then that means that we need to pour ourselves out 110% into the work of the kingdom. So some of our homework this week is what I want you to do is I want you to go home and think about this idea of salt. And believe you me, when you cook or have a meal, you're going to stare at that salt shaker. And maybe your doctor's told you to cut back on salt. Listen to your doctor. But salt is still right in front of us. So ask yourself, am I pouring myself out 110% for the gospel? It's a convicting question. If the answer that comes back is no, then there's where we begin to grow. There's where we begin to work. There's where the battleground for us this week is in terms of living our faith as the salt of the earth. But just as we finally figured out this part of us as salt, we then begin to pick up this idea of light. Remember he said, you are the light of the world. Now what we know about light, we see this on Christmas Eve, we see this at baptism, we see this, um, we see it at, at all saints, we light the candles of those that are part of our congregation. When you light a candle, it chases the darkness away from the room, doesn't it? It chases the darkness away and it beckons you to stare into it and it lights the whole place up. But what we know about candles is we know that candles provide that light just as long as they exist and they will burn brightly until they can burn no more. Friends, if we are the light of the world, then we must do that as well. We must reflect the light of Christ in everything that we do and we must burn brightly until we can burn no more ourselves. It says the Wesley says, I will praise my maker while I have breath. Folks, that is the anthem for our lives, is to praise and to serve God while we have breath. And when we think about this, this idea of reflecting light, what does it look like? It looks like this idea of showing compassion to the world, of being empathetic to others when they're having a tough time, even if they don't recognize it, even if they don't warm up to our compassion, our empathy. The rest of the world sees our actions, though, and that's us reflecting the light. Reflecting light comes and we connect and build relationships with each other. We were created to be in community. Now, many of you are like me, you're routinized. You probably go to the grocery store about the same day of the week at about the same time. You go to the same grocery store. You have the same pattern that you walk around. And grocery stores are a lot like us. They schedule the staff about the same way. So chances are the checkout person is the same person week in and week out. What if you made it a habit to get in that person's line every week? and you built a relationship with them. First you got to know their name, then you asked them something about themselves or made a comment or they did their hair up a different way that you liked it or whatever, just to build a relationship and begin to realize that you see them and that they see, they're seen by you and that they matter. 
See, we build those connections, we begin to build community. The more that we do that, we get to know each other's stories. This happened years ago when I was, uh, found myself in a rut, if you will, going to the same restaurant over and over again. I went so often to that restaurant and ordered the same thing so often that when people, when I would come with other friends, a waitress would come over to the table, she would just bring my Diet Coke and put it down before she said hello to anyone else. And when we came around to taking orders, she didn't take my order because she knew what I wanted until the day that I changed it up on her and gave her a heart attack. But that's another issue. But we built this relationship over the years, and I got to know her story and her life. She got to know mine. And one day she comes up to me and she says, okay, so my life is in shambles. What's this church thing all about? See, God plays the long game in the world, and we as disciples need to do the same thing. Build relationships with each other. That's reflecting light. That's being the light of the world. It's being hands-on in the practice of our faith where it's driving the bus for city with dwellings or serving a meal over at Samaritan or being concerned about the plight of others. Like so many of our youth did. Some of our youth last week, uh, over the weekend, went to San Francisco on a mission trip to see how they serve the impoverished people of their community. And our youth came back changed, thinking about ideas of how they could take lessons learned there to put them in practice here in our community to help similar people. Being hands-on in our faith is about teaching and modeling gratitude for each other. It's about living the daily walk of a disciple and reflecting that light so that others see God through you and through me and through our words, our actions, and our deeds. And when we do that, then we are giving ourselves solely over to our faith. And the point with all of this is just that, to reflect the light of God's love for all the world every day of our lives, everywhere we go, with everyone that we meet, whether we know them or not, because the world desperately needs the light to chase the darkness to the corners. So Jesus is there on the mountainside speaking to the disciples and speaking to us. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And what he's really saying with that is he says, I'm really calling you. I'm telling you who you are, but I'm asking you to be all in. I'm demanding nothing less than full devotion of your hearts to this gospel lesson that I'm teaching you, this kingdom that I'm calling you to be a part of. And so my brothers and sisters, our calling is to do just that. It's to be involved, to be absorbed, to be consumed with living our discipleship in the world around us so that the world sees it and can change to be the kingdom that God intends. And when we do that, we are about our Father's business. We are about what God wants for the world. And we are making the, dis- the difference that Jesus asks us to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.